Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on the show, Luke Kappa and I got together in Blister HQ to talk about a ton of next season's new gear that we think is really interesting, that is kind of on our radar. Some of it we're particularly excited about. And so we are talking about a whole lot of products and product categories today. And the result, you're going to find out at least some of the things that are really on our radar. Some of these things we have already started to test and some of these other things we're going to be getting on real soon. So next winter's gear, that's the topic of today. Now, as you also know, our Blister Summit is coming up quick. We will have links for more information on the Blister Summit in the show notes of this episode. You can also find it on the navigation bar of our website. But we have more and more brands committing to the event, the latest of which is Fisher. Now, this week, we put up a post talking about the new Fisher Ranger series of skis, that got all kinds of questions and attention and excitement and concerns. Well, Fisher is going to have the Ranger skis at our Blister Summit. So if you don't just want to write comments about the series, but actually go get on it, go get on it with us. Let's all talk about it. Let's see what we think. And I know personally, I am really interested to see what exactly they've done, not just with the overall line, but with these individual skis in the series. And this episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Bentgate Mountaineering. Now, you all know that nothing can ruin a great day touring with friends faster than a painful ski boot. Amen to that. And the fit experts at Bentgate Mountaineering know this better than anyone. With over 30 models of Alpine Touring Boots, Bentgate's highly trained staff will help you find the perfect boot for your backcountry adventures. Using advanced modification techniques, custom footbeds, and heat moldable liners and shells, they can accommodate even the most challenging of foot shapes and get you back out on the hill. And if the early season conditions happen to be rough on your gear, Bentgate's full-service tune shop specializes in ski and splitboard repair and performance tunes. They can mount all Alpine Touring, Tech, and Telemark bindings, and even install cast system and quiver killer inserts. With a full selection of touring skis, splitboards, AT boots, and avalanche safety gear, Bentgate has been outfitting backcountry adventurers for over 25 years. So stop into their newly renovated shop in downtown Golden, Colorado, or find them online at bentgate.com. And now, let's talk to Luke Kappa. Here we go. All right, Luke Kappa, it is me and you in Blister Headquarters in Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte in the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. Very precise. Exactly. Um, well, precision is what we're all about here at Blister. And today, <laughs> this is kind of the irony. Um, well, it is the season 
where a whole bunch of new gear is sort of being introduced or unveiled. And we have found it interesting, speaking of the word precision, how broad of a range of precision there is around some of the communications about this product. Some go quite in depth, others keep things pretty vague. And so that has uh, made our lives super simple. Yeah, you'll, I mean, if you read a bunch of the kind of industry news category posts on our website, you'll notice like it's it's not our lack of trying. If there's not a lot of info there, it's because <laughs> we don't have a lot to work with. Yeah. And if there is, we're going to include as much as we can. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's always a fun game of trying to figure out what certain products actually are Yeah. Uh, in this like limbo stage before we actually get in or on stuff. Yeah. But our work here today is to present a bit of a preview. Some of this gear we've actually spent a bit of time on, but what I really wanted to do was just give people a sense of some of the things that are on our radar when it comes to product categories. And then we are going to touch on just a few of the products that maybe you and I are particularly curious about. And then as we always do, we will spend the next, I don't know, five months getting on as much of the products that we're talking about here, and then a whole bunch of things that we won't have time to mention in this conversation does not mean we don't care. We care, but there will be time for that. So where do we begin as we start looking ahead at next winter's gear? What are some of the things that have kind of been standing out for you just in terms of, say, categories, or if you had to pick a category where you're like, whoa, we are seeing a lot of activity? Yeah, I think this this one, like some years it's not super obvious. Like we've done the thing where we try and pick like what are the most interesting four millimeters in skis or something like that. This one, this year there's a pretty clear category of just lightweight touring boots. And when on our site, when we say lightweight, we're generally talking about like under 1300 grams for a 26.5. These are generally not boots that are designed to mimic alpine boot downhill performance and instead provide substantially better uphill performance than a lot of the heavier options. And we're seeing additions from several brands for 2223. If I'm just going to list them off, Technica's new Zero G Peak series of boots, the new Solomon S-Lab Mountain Summit, uh, the new there's a few new Scarpa F1 boot variations. Uh, Dinafit has a new TLT 10 or TLT X as I believe they're branding it. Del Bello has the new Quantum Evo series, and Atomic is re, uh, redesigning and updating their Backland series. So there's a lot going on in that category. Yeah, how do you feel about this currently? I'm psyched about it mostly because I think like uh, the brief amounts of time I've spent in boots that are kind of in that category have been pretty positive, but I have a weird foot. And when there were so few options, the odds that I was going to be able to easily make one work for my feet was were pretty low. And I feel like as we as we see more brands branch into this category, we're going to get more fit options and just better boots because it's still 
kind of relatively new to have like a 1000 to 1200 gram boot. It walks really well, but also has well thought out features. And now we're seeing a few companies target kind of the people that they want a boot that walks really well, but they don't want like a hundred flex that they can't ski like they would ski their other boots. Um, so yeah, I'm psyched about it. I know Paul forward is ecstatic and he's basically just been saying, I told you so to everyone for the past month. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's, it's cool to see different takes, even if almost all of them look really similar in terms of the construction. I'm curious to see what we'll see in like five years from now. Are they all still going to look like the same type of boot or maybe we'll see some differentiation in design, but yeah, I'm psyched about it. I think a lot of people should be looking into this class of boots. If you're not someone who needs to ski like you do in the resort when you're out touring. So it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah. I, I think personally, I have somewhat mixed emotions about this whole thing. I have been sort of adamant about like, why is everything, why does everything have to get lighter and lighter and lighter? And yet I find myself kind of intrigued by what's happening here. And so now I don't like that I'm intrigued and I want to just be upset and angry. So this is a, this is a difficult time for me, Luke. It's a difficult period of my life. You know, I just still think, and again, what's awesome is <laughs> I think we are going to find, obviously, of all of these new boots, I imagine one or two or three of them will perhaps stand out from the rest of the group or it will just come down to which happens to fit you better. There's going to be a lot of variables at play here, obviously. But I guess the good news is each of us is going to continue to decide how low weight we want to go, how much we care about skiability, how much we care about walkability and the rest. And cool, like let consumers have more choices than ever before, you know, in terms of how they think about those variables. But I don't know, I'm still... I talk about it a lot. I personally still really like a number of boots in that 1350 to kind of 1550 gram range. I think they walk well. They ski some of them quite well. And so now like I'm supposed to get all excited about the 1200 and then we'll try to get down to 1100 and then maybe a thousand. And I don't know. I'm conflicted, Luke. Yeah, personally, I mean... Yeah, like you said, it's about having options. It's not like all these boot brands that are coming out with a thousand gram boots are ditching their 1400 gram boots. So it's just because I feel like that's where we saw the most innovation in the past several years was yeah. that like 13 to 1600 gram yeah. range. And there are a lot of boots there that like ski really, really well and walk pretty well. Um, for me, it's less about noticing the weight and more about the range of motion you get with these lighter boots and especially the like a lot of them are doing kind of like a it's not a full overlap design especially in the lower shell it's more of like an open shell with a gator over it um and that design just tends to create much more range of motion than a full overlap design and that's what i noticed for the most part on the uphill 
And for me, it's like, I haven't really found any touring boots that fit well. (laughs) So I've just been bouncing between a bunch of them. And in the end, fit is going to be the main priority. And even if there is some, if someone comes out with some 1100 gram boot that skis amazingly well and walks like a sub kilo boot, but it doesn't fit my feet, that's just not going to happen. Um, but it is also interesting. I feel like now we're, we're seeing kind of a, a sub like this lightweight quote unquote category is getting divided in itself. Like we've got some 1200 ish gram boots that are trying to fill the gap between the really light ones and the much stiffer boots that don't walk as well. Like the new Solomon S lab mountain summit, they say it has a 120 flex. Um, it skied far better than I expected, Mm -hmm. um, during my initial time on it. And there's the Fisher Transalp Pro, which came out actually this uh, for the 21-22 season. That boot skis quite well for how well it walks, but it's not a kilo. And so we're also seeing like the Dalbello Quantum Evo is a stated weight of about a kilo. Same with the new Technica Zero G Peak series. They're all under a kilogram apparently. Mm. Um, so it seems like you'll have even more options <laughs> Um, and now it's going to be a matter of trying to figure out where all these boots slot in among each other. And our job is just going to be as accurately as we can helping people again, understand what they're getting and what they aren't. And that'll be, uh, that'll be the job. By the way, we've both skied that Solomon S lab mountain summit. Just curious. What do you think about that stated 120 flex? I've only, so I've only skied it at the resort, just skinning laps at Mount Crested Butte after work. Um, and I mean, it walked as well as I expected. From, which is really good. Which is, yeah, it offers probably more range of motion than I have in my ankle. I don't have a lot of mobility in my ankles. So plenty of range of motion. I think I like the BOA system for the lower. It has, it attaches, it tightens down a few different straps, one of which goes like right over the ankle. And it did a pretty good job of locking my heel in. But the main surprise for me, like I kind of expected all of that. And then once I was skiing, I was skiing the 186 centimeter Nordica Enforcer 104 Unlimited, Mm -hmm. which is, especially for a touring ski, pretty big. It's not soft and it needs some speed to carve on green groomers that I was on, but it drove it just fine. Um, and I was pretty, I was impressed both by the level of stiffness and that it was pretty progressive yeah. for a boot that light. In terms of 120 rating, I would have to like bash like mogul runs to really figure that because the last oh. 120 boot I skied was a Nordica Strider. Okay. So, but let's take that out of the equation just for, because it's interesting. I actually, my time on it was in the backcountry. So neither of us were skiing moguls. Neither of us are about to tell people make this your inbounds boot to go bash. (laughs) Like, just don't do that, people. Um, So if we don't put moguls and inbounds skiing demands on the boot, I actually am curious because if you were trying to carve groomers, that's just a different sort of thing to put the boot through than what I was doing. Since you took too long to answer the question, I'm happy to call it a 120. Like, if you actually called it a 130, 
I wouldn't be like, oh, there is no way that is within the realm of like the 130 boots. So I guess I'm willing to say with what we're doing in terms of the subjectivity of flex ratings these days, I do not think that that is some overstatement by Solomon. If they're if it's if they're calling it a 120, I'm happy to say that's a pretty solid 120. Because I would say if they called it a 130, I wouldn't be sitting here being like that's BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I never I have yet to have an instance on groomers where I was like, I mean, I I, I was getting a little frustrated. I was like, I should be folding this uh-huh. lightweight boot, and it just kept like supporting me through a turn and in a nice manner like it wasn't a wall it ramps up smoothly which was i honestly care more about that than like overall stiffness me too um so yeah i don't i i agree that 120 doesn't seem super far off it's also super difficult to gauge on my end because it does not fit me whatsoever um so i have like tons of room in the forefoot right now in the instep um so that it was kind of funny because i was like had basically no connection to the boot through the forefoot, mm-hmm. but like the ankle and cuff felt all right. So I was still trying to like drive the boot and the ski with, with that caveat in mind, but like, yeah, it skis really well. And like, yeah, the last 120 flex boot I skied was the Nordica Strider, which is an AT boot, but it's a full PU overlap, like I think 1800 grams or something like that. Basically skis like an Alpine boot in my experience. And I can't say from my memory of that boot that the mountain summit felt softer overall on, on obviously just on groomer so far, but it's pretty impressive in terms of both the overall stiffness and the nature of the flex pattern. Um, and I think I'm very, I'm very curious to hear what reviewer Paul forward has to say, cause I imagine it'll fit his foot a lot better. He's yeah. also skied a lot of boots in that category, but my main comparison was that Fisher Transalt Pro, which they actually don't give a stated flex yep. number for, which I don't blame them because like this category is kind of weird and still growing and people are figuring out what they are. But I don't think the, the summit, the Solomon S-Lab Mountain Summit is definitely not softer than the Transalp. I think they're pretty similar. If anything, huh. the Transalp might be a bit softer. So yeah, it's it's a it was a surprising first day when I first got in that S-Lab Mountain Summit for sure. Yeah. We should say first of all, we already posted a flash review of the boot where you went first and then I weighed in in a pretty substantial way. So people should check out that flash review if they haven't already. The other important thing to say is you and I both kind of, I think, always ski a size 26.5 boot. We were in a 27.5. And so um, that is Paul Forward's normal size is a 27.5. I do hope actually that you and I do get a chance to ski that boot in a 26.5. It'll just be interesting to see how we feel about (laughs) actually skiing the boot in sort of the correct Mm-hmm. correct length feels so yeah for skiing maybe the wrong size of that boot pretty positive initial impressions okay we're going to move out of this category but very subjective sort of slash who cares question but i'm throwing it at you of the boots in this category in that kind of thousand to let's call it 1200 or 1250 range is there one that you are most excited about or most curious about maybe you end up hating the boot who knows 
what what's got your attention the most do you think i'd say most curious about because they've never done a boot like this is technica with the zero g peak series like uh solomon had the s lab x alp um that was a similar category of boot pretty light not super stiff del bello scarpa atomic dinafit they've all done boots in this category but technica the, their lightest boot was the standard zero g um, which is an exceptional boot for what it is. And the Zero-G Peak is apparently a sub-kilo sub boot that was designed reportedly with downhill performance as a priority. They don't list a flex number for it, but knowing Technica, um, I, I would, if I had to bet, I would bet that it probably skis better than a lot of 1,000-gram boots. We'll see if that's at all true, but it sounds like they've been working on it for many years and they didn't just rush to get into this category. So that's, yeah, that's the one I'm the most curious about and we'll see. I haven't, I haven't even seen one in person yet, so yeah. who knows? So yeah, and see, this is, goes back to why I'm so conflicted because I used to just, you know, kind of dismiss and scoff at this category of boots. That was pretty convenient, right? Now I'm like, all right. I'm being dragged into this party a little bit. So I'm like, all right, I need to go ski this, what has been a really important and probably the reference boot in this category, which is the Scarpa F1LT. I am curious about some of the stuff that Atomic is coming out with. Like you, I'm pretty intrigued by this Technica boot, given that I've said it many times that zero G the Technica zero G tour pro is my current favorite touring boot. So, um, I'm like, man, now I gotta go like I'm in the lightweight pool party Can't thing. Can't ignore it anymore. <laughs> Life is bad. <laughs> anyway, honestly though, this is going to be intriguing. I mean, I hate to say it, but good job boot makers. You seem to be doing compelling things at a lower weight. So I should salute you, not be mad at you, I guess. What else are you seeing as kind of a interesting trend or intriguing development for next year's stuff? So one thing that we, I feel like this is something we actually did manage to predict pretty well was that we'd start to see hard goods manufacturers focus more on making their products less environmentally harmful. Um, I think I remember talking about that either maybe last year's predictions or maybe the last time we did this sort of episode. But anyways, we are seeing a whole bunch of that for 22-23. It seems like a lot of it's coming out of the Atomic Austria factory based on the brands that are highlighting it. Mm. Um, but on the ski side, uh, Solomon, uh, I believe Atomic and Fisher all have skis that um, have recycled materials in the bases, the top sheets, and or the edges. We're also seeing a lot of use of uh, plastics made from castor bean oil, um, which is like I think I first heard about in like sunglasses frames. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's becoming more popular. And then also on the boot side, we're seeing uh, PBAX Renew and a castor bean-based version of Gorillamid um, catching on in some boots, most notably, uh, I think, Nearly all of Scarpa's shells are using one or both of those materials, um, including their new four quattro series of boots, which we'll probably touch on in a bit. Um, but it's, yeah, it's cool to see that the hard goods side is kind of catching up. Um, we've seen a lot of efforts in the soft goods world. 
um, and hard goods have kind of been just doing business as usual for a while. Um, so I think it's something we'll continue to see going forward. And there was an announcement just today from Checkerspot, which is the parent company of Wonder Alpine. We've had the CEO of Checkerspot on Gear 30 and on our Blister Summit panels from last year. Um, so Checkerspot and Wonder Alpine should both be familiar companies to our Gear 30 audience. But they announced today that DPS is using their algal wall, PU sidewalls. Um, so yet another development there. And so, yeah, I think we are very much going to be seeing more of this. Yeah. And Wonder definitely deserves a shout out in terms of kind of leading the way along with, I think, Rosinol was one of the first big brands to start um, focusing on that as of, I think, two years ago. So those were the two that stood out in my mind as kind of kicking things off. And then now we're seeing more people hop on board. Hmm. Something I wanted to ask you about, and we're going to need to talk more about this category, you know, kind of maybe give it its own dedicated episode or something on Gear 30, but airbags. And I was pretty intrigued um, just that it seems that we are seeing some innovations, updates on the supercapacitor airbags. And it really got me thinking or wondering, like, do we think that eventually, and then follow-up question, how soon are all airbags going to be moving this direction? Like, is this the technology that you think is going to kind of take over the space? That's first question. And then if so, if you think so, how soon till that happens? Thoughts? I think the main deciding factor on that is going to be does so Alpride is the main company that makes a supercapacitor airbag system. I assume they have it patented. And the main question for me is if everyone was going to shift to it, because it is a really appealing system, are they going to have to pay like licensing fees or whatever? Or is it going to become something that multiple companies make? I think that's a big deciding factor in whether it takes over. Um, cause the upsides are pretty sweet. Like it is, we should lay some of those yeah, things out. The supercapacitor system is kind of an alternative to the, like the electronic battery powered systems that, uh, black diamond and Arcteryx, um, first came out with. Um, the main upside with the supercapacitor is it's lighter. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some highlights that Paul forward, um, discussed in, uh, his review of the Scott, uh, E1 bag. Um, but it's lighter than a battery system. You can fly with it. Um, unlike uh, you a, can fly on airplanes. Yeah. I guess we should point or out. Or you can just catch hella air. Yeah. <laughs> or if somebody's thinking hallucinogenics or something, I yeah. don't know. We like to clarify. You can do all of that with the super yeah, all of system. It. It's all game. You can deploy it multiple times. Um, it is pretty easy to recharge, or at least the, the E1 system that I used. Um, you could recharge it USB or bring batteries with you, like just double uh, A batteries, I think it was. Um, and the new Alpride E2 system is apparently 40% smaller and 25% lighter. Um, the original one was already pretty small, but it was a kind of odd shape. Um, it's more of like a circular thing, whereas a lot of the canister systems, they store the airbag and the, in the inflator system kind of around the outside, which makes for a more convenient 
packing method rather than having this big chunk taken up in the middle. But yeah, basically like my take on this is mostly I just defer to Paul Forward. He's a heli ski guide who also does a ton of backcountry touring in Alaska, rides with heli uh, avalanche bag most of the time. He's used just about every system out there. And the E1 system is currently his favorite, um, which says a lot. Um, and so I'm curious to see uh, what he thinks of the new system. It sounds like kind of subtle updates, but updates that make sense. And I mean, the main thing holding them back is just cost. Like canister yeah. backpacks are a lot cheaper. Yeah. And that's why I think, especially if Alpride system is patented and companies need to pay them a fee to use it, uh, I don't think it'll take over anytime soon. I think canisters will still be around for people, especially as backcountry skiing is exploding for more entry-level folks. I mean, I still have a, a Scott Alpride canister pack that I love mostly because I really like the backpack but I think they'll still kind of have their own places for a while yeah. unless the price drops a bunch on the super capacitor ones yeah what is the rough price range on super capacitors that's a really fun word to say by the way you sound it's also super really badass <laughs> yeah it's really hard to spell too yeah so the current Scott Alpride E1 super capacitor backpack it's about $1,100. Mm -hmm. um, their canister ones, which are Alpride branded, are around $800. But I know like BCA, their canister backpacks, they have some that are cheaper than that. Um, and on that note, BCA is the next brand to be offering the Alpride E2 system. Yep. Um, so now both Scott and BCA will be offering it, um, which I think is great in terms of like, uh, just variety because mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I really didn't like about the original E1 backpack was the backpack um, it was designed to be really lightweight um, which is cool because it was but it skimped on a, a lot of features and now they've been kind of expanding their super capacitor line and it sounds like BCA will be as well and still offering their canister canister backpacks for people who aren't looking to spend quite as much yep yeah, so I think the question of will this supercapacitor technology kind of end up winning? I guess I would say not as long as canister options can stay much cheaper, frankly, because I think some people will be like, yeah, I don't really live in a world where I need to get on an airplane with my Avi bag. And some people will just say, that's just a lot cheaper. So that's the direction I'm going. And I want to get into the Avi bag, airbag category. Um, so yeah, I guess we're going to need to see those prices if and when canister prices and supercapacitor prices start to somehow getting to be similar. Seems like that's when we would see a move away from canisters, but I don't, I don't have any sense of how soon if ever that day's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like canister, the canister system has been proven over a while. Yep. And like, yeah, if you're not traveling and you're not, you don't want to test deploy a bunch. Cause that's another up yep. big upside of the super capacitor. Yeah. Of the super capacitors is that yeah, you can do unlimited deployments essentially. And you don't have to go to like a scuba shop to refill your yep. canister. Um, but for certain people, especially if you're only touring a handful of times a year, probably not a 
a big thing and you can save several hundred dollars. So we'll see what happens. I feel like we should, you know, make this a drinking game. Somebody has to do a shot every time you or I just said the word supercapacitor and then all of our listeners would be dead for yeah. sure. Like just from the sh- number of shots they would have done in the last 10 minutes. It's the problem is you introduced it after all of that happened. So I don't, unless people are really into drinking, I don't think they're going to go rewind. I'm going to put it in the intro. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be like, hey, we've got a great idea. There you go. Um, no, just kidding. We love our Gear 30 listeners. We don't want all of you dead. Um, just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> just happy. We just want you to be happy. Um, where are we going? Uh, well, let's run through some of the products that you and I are either most excited about or curious about or just for whatever reason want to discuss. Um, You were in Sun Valley a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. for, I think you probably teased it to the Gear 30 audience for a event with Vocal, Marker, and Del Bello. Um, Do you want to talk about one or two of those products? Sure. Again, we are not going to be comprehensive here, but no question for me, the thing I personally was most curious slash worried, to be honest, just curious slash worried, not excited, was the vocal was talking about an update of the Mantra 102. I really like that ski and um, didn't know what direction they were heading with this thing. And I spent an entire day at Sun Valley skiing the started on the 184 centimeter Mantra 102, which is the only length of the current slash previous. 21, 22. Thank you, Luke. That's why he's good, ladies and gentlemen. That's why he is good. The 21, 22 Mantra 102. um, I've only skied it in a 184. I did a couple laps on the 177. Um, I was pretty happy to get right back on the 184. That was just me personally. But I think that Vocal is doing, well, first thing to say, first, they did not mess up this ski, which maybe that's a bad thing that that's, we kind of assume when we like a product and the company changes it, that we will now like it less. But I actually got along really well with this ski. We definitely need to spend more time on this thing. I think the most interesting thing that I I'm just curious about with respect to what Vocal is doing here. And frankly, some of the other brands are telling a bit of a similar story, but we're getting from Vocal this talk of how they are adjusting the construction of, say, a Mantra 102 and their Kendo skis and some of the other skis. They're adjusting these skis according to their lengths. And this has been interesting, right? For years on Blister, like we drop a review of the 184 centimeter Mantra 102, and then the first comments are like, how's the 191 or how's the 177? And so we've actually started reviewing a number of skis in more lengths, but with what Vocal is doing here, and again, some other companies are doing some similar things, but it strikes me that length is going to be a bit more sensitive now, right? So, you know, if I think in the past, maybe there were some skis where it's like, yeah, I can ski that 177, pretty happy on it, or the 184, or like I can ski the 184, and if I bumped up to a 191, I'm pretty sure I know like what I would be getting 
a heavier ski, more stability, less maneuverability. As Vocal is tweaking each of the ski lengths, I just kind of feel like now there might actually be less room for error when it comes to picking your length. Do you see what I mean? Or do I need to do that again? I didn't sleep much last <laughs> night. So am I just being unclear? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I Ski length is fairly subjective or like, and it also just depends on so many other factors. But I could see what you're saying in terms of specifically the Mantra 102 because that's the first ski we've skied where the first version was standard construction. The main thing they do is they change the amount of metal um, depending on each length. The first version, it was apparently like the same amount of metal or same ratio. Now shorter lengths have a bit less, longer lengths have a bit more. So that's the first time we've been able to compare a, a nearly identical platform with that construction change. So I think what you're saying could make sense for the Mantra 102. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to. Well, yeah, I don't. I I can't say too much now without without yeah. having skied it. I know I have skied the two lengths of the M6 Mantra, which mm -hmm. was the first ski they released yep. when they implemented that tech and. The main thing that stood out to me was just that I could get along with both, which is fairly rare. Usually I'm pretty set on mm -hmm. one length. Um, and maybe that's just because for a 96 millimeter wide ski, 180 is usually my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And I skied a 177 and a 184. Um, but I did find that the skis felt very similar to me. Um, whereas sometimes we get on a 184 and a 190 and they feel totally different. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure, not sure I have uh, much interesting or conclusive things to say yet. And we can move on from this, but what I found um, out in Sun Valley, I had a strong preference for the 184 and a lot of other people that we were skiing with were kept talking about how much they liked the 177. That wasn't me. And that was true also of the Kendo. And we have been doing a thing where we have sort of tried to be skiing shorter lengths in skis, especially the narrower we're going. So I started on that 177 Kendo and was like, I kind of want more ski than this just personally. So that was just an interesting thing to me where I was like on a 88 millimeter wide ski, I was actually looking to reverse kind of a trend that we've been, I guess, on. Mm -hmm. And I was like, give me that 184. Um, so interesting. We'll see what people think, but I think that's going to be part of our job is to, again, try to make comparisons with other skis in a specific length and just try to help people understand like, oh, okay, I think that's, you know, ski X is too much ski for me in this length. I should probably be dropping down on whatever vocal or moving up. And yeah, we got more sorting out work to do, Luke. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Where to? Um, well, do you want to, on that topic of the Sun Valley trip, uh, anything from Dalbello? Yeah. I actually skied a Dalbello boot for the first time in my life out there, which is real strange to say that out loud, but it's true. Dalbello is introducing this boot. I believe the pronunciation would be the Veloce. It is a 100 millimeter last two-piece Alpine boot. And... 
I skied it. I always ski LV low volume boots, which tend to be in that 96, 97, 98 millimeter last range. So I was a bit concerned, like, is this thing just going to be, am I going to be swimming in this boot and is it going to just feel sloppy? It did not feel sloppy. I would say my first impressions are this is a hundred millimeter last boot that yeah, isn't just some gross, overly big fit. And I'm more curious to know what Luke or other people who normally ski MV or mid-volume boots think of this, but it seemed like a legit boot and it was comfortable and um, I think they might have something here. And I talked about it with a couple other people I trust on this front and they do typically ski 100 millimeter last boots and they were quite impressed. So um, yeah, I'll be curious to see what you and your God-cursed feet think of it. Yeah, the fact that you describe it as not overly roomy makes me <laughs> pessimistic <laughs> about the fit the fact that it might not uh fit my feet huh. but yeah i'm i'm curious to try it i'm curious about how it compares to the technica mach 1 mv that has been my go-to boot for the past season and a half and the new as of this year the had formula um they have a 100 millimeter last version uh so we'll see but it's cool to see uh higher performance medium volume boots that aren't super light um right <laughs> we've seen a lot of those lately that yes work for a lot of people but not so much for me where to um so solomon it, it varied a bit in terms of like some brands are like doing like one new series or uh maybe two solomon is doing a whole bunch of new stuff um for <laughs> 22 23 uh we already touched on the s lab mountain summit boots uh, there's also the Mountain Carbon and Mountain Pro skis to go with it, which are replacing the Mountain Explorer 95. I know. And if they somehow made a ski better than that ski, I will be absolutely blown away. Um, and I'll give all the praise to Cody and the ski designers. Um, we'll see about those. Yeah. But probably the biggest story on the ski side is that they updated or they're updating the qst 106 and the qst 92 um the qst 106 along with the old qst 99 were some of our go-to skis for especially for people who are maybe kind of newer to the sport and don't know exactly what they want or just like want a ski that can be skied hard but doesn't need to be um so last year for the 21 22 season they updated the qst 99 replaced it with the qst 98 uh but it wasn't just a one millimeter difference. It was a very different ski. They uh, tapered the tips and tails more, gave it more tail rocker, lightened it up a bit, tightened the radius, added their double sidewall construction underfoot. And basically the QSD 106 and 92 are getting the same treatment. I I was a little bit hesitant about that at first because I didn't like personally for my skiing style, I didn't like fall in love with the QSD 98. Um, I think it's a, a good ski for a lot of people and you can read our review of that um, to learn more. But I ended up so far, I'm liking that new QSD 106 more than I expected. Um, and I actually did some some back-to-back -back laps on the new one and the previous one uh, last weekend and was impressed by the fact that I didn't notice some like drastic drop in stability and suspension for the new ski. 
but it is significantly more maneuverable and just generally more playful and suits my skiing style a bit better. Um, So I'm pretty psyched about what they've done with it. I'm curious to hear what you have to say, especially as you get more time on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's so far been a pretty versatile ski that's easier than the previous one, especially off-piste, without turning into like some total twitchy noodle of a ski. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking quite a bit more too about solomon's new strive binding and in fact at our blister summit we're actually going to do a panel session this year on bindings and i'm still trying to decide frankly if we're going to do an entire panel session just on alpine bindings or if we're going to do alpine and at bindings so we'll see but there's some interesting things going on with this strive binding and i think we'll save that you know we'll go into that more on another podcast and panel session at the summit but i'm looking forward to getting some hopefully some binding designers on stage in person fighting that's really <laughs> my that's really my real goal um, for our panel session there yeah it's also worth pointing out that as far as i know if you attend the blister summit, you'll actually be able to try yeah. the strive binding and the new QSDs and actually a whole bunch of the products that we're talking about yeah. on this podcast. Um, so yeah, if you don't want to wait till next year, swing by the summit this year and you can try a whole bunch of them. All right. Talk about your line blade optic. So this is probably the series of skis that I'm most excited about. Wow. Cause I really like the Line Vision series as touring skis, the Vision 118 kind of being the exception. And I really like the Line Blade as a just weird carving ski that you can still ski most places on the mountain. Um, But the Visions, in my mind, are touring skis. I would never want to ski the Vision 98 or 108 in the resort. And the blade is not the most versatile ski, um, which is part of why it's so fun. Um, But anyways, the Blade Optic series um, is essentially vision platforms, shapes, rocker profiles, mount points, paired with a blade core construction, which means they're, I think they still call it gas pedal metal, Um, basically like segmented sheets of tetanol. Um, and I mean, on paper, that seems like a combo that would be really, really fun. I am very curious to see what they actually feel like on snow and how they measure. We have a a blade optic 96 and 104 on the way should be skiing those on when this comes out this coming Monday or Tuesday. And then it's another line of skis that uh, line we'll have at the blister summit this year including the 114 um, which right now i know are in, in short supply because all their athletes are using them apparently mm. um but yeah I'm, I'm super excited they're the blade optic series is is replacing the line sick day series which is i mean they could be i mean there's a chance i'll like them a lot more especially for resort skiing but it is a bummer to see especially the sick day 104 go away because that's just such a phenomenal ski and the 114 and 114's been dead for years get over it no we'll never get over it (laughs) um but anyway i think it could be a really it has a lot of potential to be a series of skis that probably carves pretty well probably isn't super demanding but probably 
feels better and smoother on rough snow than the sick day series. So those are all guesses right now, but we will, we will see next week. You used to say a lot on gear 30 podcasts, how all the skis I like are like not fun and that I hate fun. And which is true, which I realize right now, my whole attitude about this like blade optics stuff is probably reinforcing all of those accusations you've made of me over the years. Yeah, and I mean, you should like them more. They're going to be heavier than the sick day sickies. I know. <laughs> but like that 104 and 114 were just, we always said, just exceptional skis for their weight. And so I know I will, as always, I will, I will complain about things up front loudly but then I will have an open mind when it comes time to actually test these things. Yeah, and to be clear, like these are, they have blade in the name. It's pretty much just the construction that they yeah. share in common. Like they are not 114 millimeter wide skis with 13 meter radius. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, yeah, they, they look much more like the Visions than the blade, um, which I think is a good thing for this sort of like all mountain free rider, all mountain ski. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more. We talked a bit about some atomic boots and we stayed a bit vague there's going to be some developments on the boot side from them why don't we talk about the bent series of skis since you've been skiing the bent not the bent shetler but the bent 110 the last couple days yeah so this is one of the first new product announcements of the year uh, i think it was a few weeks ago that atomic announced they were expanding beyond the Ben Shetler 120 and 100, adding a 110, a 90, an 85, and two junior skis. Um, and yeah, we got the Bent 110. Uh, the naming, the naming of it is still a bit confusing because the 120 is still a Ben Shetler, and there's a Ben Shetler Mini, but all the other ones are just Bents. Mm. Um, anyway. The 110 fills, obviously fills the gap between the 120 and the 100. It is much more like the 120 than the 100. The 100 was not very much like the 120 at all, honestly. Um, it was, it's a pretty directional ski that doesn't have a really symmetrical rocker profile or flex pattern, which actually works for a ton of people because of that. Um, but the 110 is much more like the 120. It has a lot of tail rocker, a lot of tip rocker. Um, it is very light for its size. Ours is our, our 188 centimeter pair. It's about 1,870 grams per ski, which puts it in the same category as like a head core 111. Um, it's significantly lighter than some quote 50-50 skis in that class, like the Forefront Hoji. It's lighter than that. Um, but that's in line with the 120. The 120 is super light for its size. But anyway, uh, skied it yesterday, when, yesterday as of when we're recording. Um, main things that stood out, one, it is very light. We were, I was skiing it in conditions that I don't think most people would bring out a lightweight 110 underfoot ski. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, it, especially after the first few runs, I t got used to it pretty quickly. It was the, I mean, it was the longest, widest, lightest, most center mounted ski I've been on in about two weeks. So and it was like days since it had snowed at all. But the main things that stood out, it is very loose and easy to slash around in soft snow. But 
the edge hold on firm groomers, even like I was skiing in the afternoon. So like scraped off section was like weirdly good. I do think atomic just nailed the factory tune on that ski, but it, I, I suspect it's quite torsionally rigid through the center of the ski. And honestly, like the cambered portion of the ski is quite stiff. The rocker portions are pretty dang soft, but it is a pretty smooth transition, especially for how quick it is. Um, but yeah, the the contrast between loose ride and soft snow, pretty solid edge grip on firm snow was interesting. Makes me think that, I mean, it, it seems like it could be more versatile than a 110 underfoot might suggest, but it is still a super light ski. And it's like, it got knocked around a considerable amount when I was finding myself in more like chopped up or like cut up chalk that wasn't very consistent. But I'm very curious to hear what reviewer Dylan Woods, Woods thinks um, because he's spent a lot of time on the Bench Other 120, mm-hmm. really likes it, especially as a touring ski. Um, used to ride it all the time in the resort too, wow. which was just ridiculous now. I'm, I'm sure he had fun at the time, but since then he's been reviewing for us and <laughs> realizing that you don't have to ride a 1800 gram, 120 underfoot ski all the time. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. I know a ton of people are excited about it. I think it has the potential to be a really cool 50-50 or touring ski. And mostly I just really want uh, to get it out on a resort day when it has snowed at least a few inches because I think it's going to be a lot of fun as long as the snow is somewhat soft. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Hmm. Next thing I'm very curious and intrigued about, K2 is coming out with these new Dispatch free touring skis this is intriguing in part because k2's head ski designer jed yeiser the person who i recorded my first podcast ever with uh, was jed jed has been sort of talking about well what turns out is this series of skis for quite a while and he's like dude i'm working on this thing i'm really excited about it i can't wait for you to get on them you're gonna love them and then I'm like, no, I probably won't, Jed. Then he gets mad. He's been working on him a long time. We should say Jed played a significant role when we were just talking about like the Sick Day series, the line Sick Day 104 and the 114. Jed had something to do with those. Apparently, the guy is fairly good at making a lightweight, capable backcountry ski. Um, so I'm definitely intrigued. And frankly, I've said this before. I still feel a bit bad. I think we have not given enough attention to the K2 Wayback skis. Now, granted, I think that's a pretty different, very directional, kind of flat-tailed series of skis. Um, That is not what I'm expecting out of this Dispatch free touring series. I haven't actually seen these yet, but what are you- From what what I've seen that- it's not like they're taking like the Reckoners and making them touring skis. Right. Like, I, they don't seem like backcountry freestyle, but they've got metal in them. Um, kind of like a spinoff of what's used in the Mindbender series. Um, and sound like, yeah, they're more downhill oriented in general than the Wayback series. And like in our review of like the Wayback 106, we talked about how it, it does work for a lot of people. Yeah. Like despite being, I think the recommended recommended mount point on that was like minus 13 or something like that but like sam shaheen reviewed that and he's like yeah it just does a lot of things quite well they were very light um not the absolute lightest in their class but definitely wouldn't have been our first choices for people who prioritize like suspension or stability 
but yeah, I'm very curious to see um, what the new dispatch keys are like. And they're also coming out with a dispatch boot yep. um, at the same time, which is supposed to be a bit more touring friendly than the current Mindbender boot. So yeah, those will be at the summit this year as well. And as I will guess, Jed. As will Jed. So if he if he is wrong, like yep. Jonathan says, you can yep. tell him to his on. face. <laughs> tell him to his face. Or you can tell him how, how good they are if they oh, are. Oh yeah, right. There's that. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I love this. This is this makes me really happy about the Blister Summit, right? Is you know, we talk about our stuff. I hope people have come to trust us, like we call it as we see it. But it's going to be really fun to get so many other people in the Blister audience, you know, com- getting on this stuff, comparing notes, you know, and um, that's just, I, I'm just excited about that development for like every Blister Summit going forward in perpetuity. It's going to be very cool to kind of chop it up with people who were just skiing the same runs and the same products as us. And then they'll be like, you guys are totally wrong about this ski. And then we'll be like, no, you're an idiot. And then we'll just start big fights in blister headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> Probably how it's going down. Um, we're still, this is our attempt at speed rounds, which we have never been good at. All right. I'll try and work through a couple okay. real quick. Scarpa, they we're recording this on the 25th. They just announced their quote Alpine oriented series of boots that they teased when they announced Bodie Miller was joining them. They revealed those today. They're called the Four Quattros, aka the Four Four Boots. Don't know why, but anyway, they're overlap boots. They're fifteen hundred grams. They are grip walk soles, and they're supposed to be more alpine oriented than Scarpa's other boots. I'm very curious about the amount of overlap that, on paper, is present between the Mastrali and the Four Quattro boots. But I mean, regardless of that, they just look very interesting. Like they're the the Four Quattro XT, which is the 130 flex men's boot, is apparently I think it's just under 1500 grams. Reportedly has 61 degrees of range of motion, grip walk soles, overlap construction, lower volume fit than the Mastralis. And if it skis well, I mean, mostly I'm like that'd be a really sick touring boot. Um, <laughs> but we shall see how those compare to the heavier Alpine-oriented boots out there as well as the other Scarpa boots. They're also expanding the F1 boot collection. The F1 LT is Paul Forward's current favorite 1,000-ish gram boot. Really good. He just uh, we published his full review a couple weeks ago. They're now making for 2223 an F1 XT and an F1 GT. A <laughs> little bit confusing right now. We'll <laughs> wait till we see them in person. But basically the XT version closer to 1200 grams a bit more downhill oriented i believe the gt is a more uh a less expensive version of the xt still a bit heavier than the lt anyway we'll talk about that more in the future when we get more info i can't i can't wait till they come out with the xxxt that'll be their 2500 gram triple x touring boot yeah i think or the triple x rated yeah yeah i mean they used to make the freedom series which yeah. was Early. not light nope and apparently the four quattros are the first alpine oriented boots they've made hmm. even though they weigh 1500 grams and hmm. have a walk mode 61 degrees of range of motion i see what you're doing there luke <laughs> but anyway um dinafit 
they've had their TLT boot series forever now. Like the TLT five was a favorite of a bunch of people that, I mean, we talked about this lightweight category that kind of broke a lot of people into yep. that category. They're now on the TLT 10 or TLT X as they're calling it. It looks like a, not like a huge update um, from the TLT eight. I guess they just skipped the nine. I think unless someone, someone can call me out on that. If I, if I'm just forgetting that, boot. please call Luke out. But, uh, it keeps their kind of one throw uh, walk mechanism slash upper buckle, which I know a lot of people are fans of. It's a boa closure for the bottom. And one of the big changes is they're finally getting rid of their speed nose, um, which was the lack of a toe welt on the front of the boot, which, I mean, from a stride perspective in pin bindings, there's rationale for it, but it is a nightmare in terms of binding compatibility yeah. and crampon compatibility. Yeah. So now they're apparently only doing the speed nose for their race boots, which makes sense in my opinion. Yeah. They're also, they, they, I think it was their first crampon they made that was specific to their speed nose boots. Cause you couldn't put an automatic crampon on the front. Now they're making a crampon that works with boots with welts and it actually looks really cool. It's like a, a wire connecting the toe piece and the heel piece, kind of like a, the some of the ones that Petzl has done with a, a set of cord running between them, but it basically just looks like it'd be a really cool crampon for someone who wants something really collapsible and lightweight. Um, seems like it'd be it'd be nice for ski ski mountaineering, which is apparently different than ski mo, according to Cody Townsend, which I still disagree with him on. <laughs> but anyways, that's a speed round. Um, one last one faction. They're renaming the Dictator series The Dancer. Amazing. Um, apparently, same construction, but I believe the rationale for that was <laughs> the Dancer more accurately reflects the type of skiing they encourage, which for mm. me on that ski, it should be called the Eating Shitter <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> anyway. From Dictator to Dancer. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like any ski Drew Kelly's on could be called the dancer. He's much mm. more graceful than most. I don't know. Edge of control, Drew, edge of control, Kelly? Yeah. It's like dancing on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Dancing on a knife's edge? Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. I think we're calling it. Did we... I think we call it, right? There's other stuff we could talk about. There's many more weeks. Keep, Yeah, keep an eye on the website. We will be continuing to post info when we have it, as well as flash reviews and first looks for all this stuff that's coming in. Um, so yeah, we'll have more to say. Yeah, and as Luke has done a very good job of reminding us throughout this conversation, a lot of these products are going to be at the summit. So come ski it yourself and we can compare notes or you can tell us we have it wrong or even more fun you can tell jed yeiser he has it wrong so what's not to like um we'll have a link in the show notes of the episode for the blister summit it's also on our website on the navigation bar people you really don't have any excuse to like not find information about the summit at this point um and we'll just be playing johnny dapp the the whole time <laughs> exactly all right uh it's time for what we're celebrating this week. Luke, do you have anything that you are celebrating? Um, I think the main big change for me was I got an external computer monitor. Oh, yeah. Um, Fancy. So I, I've been working from home for like six years now. And for the first two years, it was all on a laptop and no, I didn't even have an external mouse. I did the first 
the first time I did the design of the buyer's guide was on a trackpad, um, which is why it looks <laughs> like it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've for some reason never gotten an external monitor and I do a lot of design and photo work um in addition to the million other things whatever you just ski and drink beer <laughs> yeah, as, as anyone who i talk to about my job yeah i just ski and that's it yep um but anyways got one with the help of my parents thanks huh. mom and dad um and it's pretty cool so far it's just really big and bright <laughs> wow <laughs> and i can see way more pixels now um which is ironic because like a lot of our stuff or pretty much just goes on the website and people look at it on their phones and are never going to appreciate all the details that I'm paying attention to now. But anyways, got that and it's been nice so far and I'm still kind of figuring it out because like you get so locked into like a workflow yeah. that um, I'm still like taking time to sort out how that's all going to work. But that's been the big, big change for me. Mostly I'm hoping that your new external monitor will help you stop selecting the wrong frame in a sequence of photos. You and I actually, Luke and I disagree about this stuff quite a lot, it turns out. Like, you, you know, we shoot a number of photos, burst mode is often used, and then you get into this like, okay, often there's kind of two, three, maybe four frames that could be used in a photo. And Luke and I, there's a lot of disagreement, actually. Yeah. Well, by disagreement, he means I'm right no, and Jonathan no, is no, not Chris, good at judging photos. Nope. Kristen is on my side. We're ganging up on In you. In what? Like one case? I think multiple. Sorry to, sorry to Kristen. I'm not, Kristen doesn't like conflict, so she's probably not going to be happy about this. Neither do I, but I am like photo editing is like the one thing I'm pretty confident in. Huh? Yeah, there have been there have definitely been like certain cases in the past, but like ninety percent of the time, you're like, "Well, what about this other frame?" And I'm like, "I didn't choose it for a reason." And then I show you it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's terrible." No, but sometimes you get like weirdly, you're like, "Look at the light on this branch in the far left corner of the photo. It's amazing." And we're like, "No, dude, look at the skier." I'm always focused on skier first, but we're shooting a lot of the times at like fifteen frames per second. So a lot of the times it's a minute difference where it doesn't really like the skier doesn't look at all different, but certain parts of a tree or their goggles got lit up more and that just adds up to the overall look. Anyway, when you the... start shooting and editing photos, I'll take your, take your thoughts more seriously. Mm, okay. That's probably not going to happen. All right. <laughs> um, for me this week, um, I am celebrating slash slightly cursing Jake Bilbro. The founder of Revelshine, uh, we have done a podcast with Jake. I think that was this that was this past summer in July on the Blister podcast. Again, Jake is the founder of Revelshine. He lives in Ketchum, Idaho. Jake was just out here, um, came in yesterday, hung out with us here in Blister headquarters for the first time. He got to meet Luke in person. He was pretty excited about that. Yeah, and he was like, "Man, you." photos really well <laughs> he did, definitely did not say that um but so jake and i were hanging out in blister headquarters luke was here luke left i think it was around 5 30 and then jake and i just kind of started and chopping it up and having good conversations okay full disclosure we then went through two bottles of revel shine and the conversation was still going and we we're like we really need to go grab some dinner so we went to bones 
And because we were at Bones, Jake was like, well, we really kind of probably should order, order margaritas. Bones has notoriously strong and delicious margaritas. Yeah. So we did that. And we're still having good conversations. And so then we end up going back to my house. And then Jake, you know, as a listener of Gear 30 is like, I really need to try Whistle Pig. So then we broke out the 15-year-old Whistle Pig. And, um, and again, great conversation. It's just a rapid fire exchange of ideas with Jake. But then it was like 2 a.m., and again, we are not sitting there like crushing whiskey. This is good. That's not what I do when you're when it's not what you do with fifteen year old whistle pig. So I don't mean to give the wrong idea, but like hopefully I've painted a bit of a picture of the evening. And then I think it was about three a.m. by the time I actually went to sleep. So it was great to see Jake. Lots of fun ideas. Revel Shine is going to be at the Blister Summit. We have some things that we're working on, including. And I think I suggested this at around 2 a.m. We're going to get a discount for Blister members on Revel Shine. And I think that might be just like a thing now going forward. So we're hoping to have more information on that soon. But um, Jake's a great guy. We love what he's doing and building at Revel Shine. And he's just got a lot of good ideas about a lot of stuff, which is why you end up talking till like 2 in the morning. Um, but I'm tired right now, Luke. I'm tired. And I blame Jake, but it was great hanging out with him. So I'm sort of celebrating Jake Bilbro today. <laughs> and that, I think, brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. And Luke, watch this. I'm just going to read us right out. Thanks to Luke Kappa. If not for the photo editing, definitely for his excellent breakdown of all of this new gear that we'll be getting on sometimes for the first time, other gear We'll get more time on. We should give a shout out to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and for putting up with us. We should probably also thank our listeners for putting up with us. Um, you should come to the summit. What else should I tell them, Luke? Oh, Luke, again, we're doing a bit of a future thing here. We are recording this on Tuesday, January 25th. Tomorrow, which was two days ago when people are hearing this, <laughs> our blister crash course telemark video will have come out to the world yeah so this whole thing where we've just kind of talked serious about gear for an hour almost no one is going to actually be taking us seriously because they will just yeah. watch this <laughs> video and been like it'll be interesting if our gear 30 listenership just absolutely tanks mm -hmm. right going forward because they'll be like uh-uh these guys no <laughs> so um and i think we might actually be getting the band together to do a blister podcast that will drop on Monday where we kind of talk about our experience telemarking for the first time, except Kristen who looks way too good in this video yeah. and it still makes me mad. And I feel like she kind of, she kind of misdirected us so that we all look even worse. I was just happy that Arnie who shot and edited the video put out frequent yeah. uh, text call outs. I made that, him. That I made him. First yeah. Time. yeah. Yeah. I was like, nope, you keep saying like, she looks amazing. And I'm like, you keep saying this is definitely not her first time <laughs> telemarking. So anyway, uh, yeah, probably no one has actually listened to this episode because they have just written us off. But if you are still here, thank you. That was us attempting to telemark. 
And look out for the snowblade video. And look out for the snowblade <laughs> like, video in the months ahead. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shoot that after the blister summit because I don't frankly want us to get injured prior to the summit. And I feel like we're the bar is gonna be raised in terms of injury. You have a different take on this though, huh? You think snowblades is easier? I think so. Well, I w- I initially thought that because I said, "Well, haven't you hockey skated?" And you're like, "No." If you've if you've ice skated. I feel like it's pretty easy. And it's also like if you ski center mounted skis, I feel like it's pretty easy. But yeah, you'll have to get used to not having a tip in front of you. Oh god. But you're just skiing with like the balls of your feet and it's it's fun. All It'll right. be way easier than tele skiing, that's for sure. Right. I also went snowboarding this weekend. That was easier than tele skiing. Huh. And I hadn't snowboarded in two years. Okay. Well, so Luke's talking a big game about what a good snowboarder he is. So when we have to do our blister crash course snowboard video, which comes after our blister crash course snowblade, ski blade, ski whatever blade video. Ski board. Ski board video. Yeah, just Luke's going to be sending it like a madman. Anyway, that was the longest outro ever recorded in the history of Gear 30. I wonder why we don't <laughs> record these afterwards. <laughs> um, everybody, I hope you have a great weekend. We should catch you Monday on our Blister podcast where we're kind of doing a recap of our telemark skiing adventures. And then we're going to go get on all of this gear that we have been telling you about. So enjoy the weekend. Talk to you all soon.